This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. 69, it's found on page 494 in your pew Bible in the Old Testament. We are in our series, Finding God in Unexpected Places. Using the inspiration of Krish Kandaya in his book, God is Stranger, we are now looking at anger and the psalm that is an imprecatory. It's vengeful. Let us now hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 69, beginning with verse 9. It is zeal for your house that has consumed me. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I humbled my soul with fasting, they insulted me for doing so. When I made sackcloth for my clothing, I became a byword to them, a byword to them. I am the subject of gossip for those who sit in the gate and the drunkards make songs about me. Going to verse 19. You know the insults I receive and my shame and dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Insults have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table be a trap for them, a snare for their allies. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see. Make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and learning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one live in their tents, for they persecute those whom you have struck down, and those whom you have wounded, they attack still more. Let add guilt to their guilt. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Let us pray. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to help us hear harsh words that come from Scripture and yet are your divine gift to us in our anger. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you do when you are angry? What makes you angry? A businesswoman was on a trip, and she was in between flights at an airport. She went to a newsstand and got a newspaper and a small package of cookies. She went to her gate, opened her newspaper, and was reading when she heard a rustling sound next to her. There was a nicely dressed gentleman next to her who was eating her cookies. Well, she felt quite incensed, and she just swallowed hard, reached over, 
took a cookie and ate it. And she went back to reading before she had a minute pass. There was more rustling. And another cookie. Being, she looked at him and glared. She swallowed hard. She did not want to speak her anger because that might hurt his feelings, even though she was incensed. And then to add insult to injury, the last cookie he broke and slid it over to her and ate it, the other half, and got up and left. She was fuming. Her gate was, the flight was called, and she opened her purse to get out her boarding pass, and there she found her package of unopened cookies. <laughs> what makes you angry? Is it when someone cuts in front of you in the traffic and you've been patient and they are not? Is it when a telemarketer calls you and you've just sat down to dinner and you it anger that comes up when you have a family member who insults you with their words, hurts you? Or when someone in the public is inconsiderate, disregarding your presence. Do you feel angry when others criticize you for the values you hold? Well, what are we to do with our anger? And, and where do we find God in our anger? Today I would like us to look at these two passages and see what Jesus did with his anger in John chapter 2. And then what King David did with his anger from Psalm 69. First, let's look at Jesus' anger. Do you remember in the night from Psalm 69? First, let's look at Jesus' anger. Do you remember in the 1990s, the bracelets, what would Jesus do? I mean, this was, this was the question we were all supposed to ask ourselves. In all that we did, what would Jesus do? Well, do you know that in three out of four of the Gospels, Jesus overturning tables in the temple is, is told to us? I mean, I don't think that this bracelet was meant for us to turn over tables in imitation. So what happened in John Chapter 2. Well, let's look at the context. It says that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. That's because it's up on Mount Zion. It was the Passover festival. 200,000 or more pilgrimed city. Every one of them was to worship God with an animal sacrifice. Now, vendors, like good entrepreneurs... They were there to help you. And they had set up stalls with thousands of ox, cattle, with, they had uh, sheep, they had pigeons for the poor. And next to those, you could have your money exchanged. You were coming from another land. You did not have the right currency for the temple tax. So with interest, you traded your coins for the right coins. So that's what people were doing. All right, it's the word of the Lord. 
We need Moses' law to be fulfilled with animal sacrifice at Passover and an annual temple tax. So what's Jesus' problem? Location, location, location. This business mayhem was in the outer court of the Gentiles. This is the temple. There was only one area in the temple in which non-Jews were permitted to enter in order to worship the Almighty God. One place that they could go. And what was in it? This environment. How well could you pray? If you were in a noisy, packed business environment that reeked of manure, it was impossible. If a person was not a Jew, then access to the worship of God was blocked. Outsiders were treated as unimportant. And this made Jesus very, very angry. Let's look at his response. And a literal translation it is like this. So Jesus made a whip out of cord, and he drove them all out of the temple, the sheep as well as the cattle, and was scattering the coins of the money changers across the floor and flipping their tables over. And to the dove sellers, he said, get these out of here. You stop turning the house of my father into a place of business. Now, did Jesus just lose his temper? Or did he, like, blow his fuse and then let them have it? I think we need to look again. He made a whip. That is, he said, that is, he sat down and he took cords and he braided them together. This took time. This took longer than the 10 seconds we're supposed to count when we're angry. Do you know who came up with that? Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson said, when angry, count to 10 before you speak. When very angry, count to 100. So Jesus is not acting out of a flash of anger. He's acting like a righteous judge who takes the time to fit the sentence to the crime. Get these out of here. You stop turning the house of my father into a place of business. Jesus could not remain silent. He shows us that there is a place. He shows us that there is a place for pure, holy anger. He defends the honor of God and the rights of people. Jesus shows there is a place for holy anger. Now this is Jesus. He's meek. He's mild when being tortured and killed. The one who doesn't raise a finger to defend himself raises a whip and turns over tables when he sees barriers to God and injustice. Do you see God in an unexpected place? 
Jesus acts, how Jesus acts, is who God is. How Jesus, Jesus could not remain silent. But what about us? On July the 3rd, day before Independence Day, the Atlantic, that great journal, published an article reporting pediatrician Dr. Dolly Sevier's findings at an immigration facility in McAllen, Texas. The facility is nicknamed Ialera, or Icebox. Cold storage warehouses are in McAllen that allow the produce from Mexico to remain fresh. The same cold causes migrants to shiver under sheets of mylar, beneath lights that are never turned off. More than a thousand migrant children are in the detention facility that Sevier visited. The pediatrician was not allowed to go in to the areas where they're held, many in cages, to locate the sickest children. So she started with the roster of the facility and began with the infants and then the toddlers to be brought out one at a time. As agents brought in the requested children, she writes that the smell of sweat and soiled clothing filled the room. They had not been allowed to bathe or change since crossing the Rio Grande. Two-thirds of the children she examined had symptoms of respiratory infection. She found evidence of sleep deprivation, dehydration, and malnutrition. There was a baby who had been fed from the, for days from the same unwashed bottle. This morning on the news, we heard of an outbreak of chickenpox and scabies in the facility. Why do I bring this to our attention? What would Jesus do? How did Jesus respond to what he saw? Max Lucado is a popular Christian author and pastor in San Antonio. This week he wrote a short piece in Christianity Today. Quote, the photo of a drowned immigrant and his nearly two-year-old daughter stirs outrage. These are human beings, a dad and his child, a family. We scarcely have time to process the emotion before we read about sick, hungry, migrant children who are at risk in detention centers. Children? Out of each other's hair? We want to look away. But let's not. Let's not turn away. Let's not return too quickly to our summer activities. End quote. What do we do with our anger? What David did. What David did with his anger. Psalm 69. First, he felt it. And he expressed it. Psalm 69 is just one of the imprecatory psalms in the book of Psalms. It's the prayer book that we have been given, 150 prayers in God's holy word to pray. The verb imprecate 
means to pray evil against, to invoke a curse upon another. The 150 Psalms in the middle of the Bible, 14 of them are imprecatory prayers or include imprecations. We have opportunity to give voice to anger and vengeance, to feel and express. A lot of Christians take offense at this, thinking, now believers, they should not feel such things, let alone express them. But God knows that denied or buried anger can explode when we least expect it. Our son and his family lived for five years in Cologne, Germany, and it was quite common to have an apartment or a building complex evacuated because in a constructed because in a construction site, an undetonated bomb had been found. Bombs, there were 2.1 million tons dropped by the Allies on Germany. 2,000 tons are uncovered every year, and they grow more dangerous over time. That's because there's corrosion that takes place, so they're unstable. What's true of lingering bombs is true as well for lingering anger. David felt and expressed his anger, and there are 14 psalms to help us do this. On the top of your bulletin, you see Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. Be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Somehow ignoring anger gives room for the devil to do his dirty work in our lives. But you may ask, is God necessary if I just need to feel and express my anger? There are two German entrepreneurs who don't think so. They've made a way for people to express their anger. It's called the swearing hotline. It's known as Schiplos, German for swear away. It's available seven days a week, and for a fee of one and a half euros, $1.75 per minute, callers can vent their frustration to a pain. Anger happens, and with us, you can blow off steam with no strings attached. For getting everything off your chest, our service is a bargain. Now, God gives us more than a bargain, more than blowing off steam. Through the imprecatory Psalms, God gives us himself. Psalm 69. And others like it are not just to blow off our feelings. We are to pray our anger. We pray to God, the righteous judge. God is not indifferent to suffering. 
God will not remain silent nor uninvolved. These Psalms teach us that there actually is a bar of justice. There is an ultimate judge before whom we all will stand and give account. Notice that David is not saying that he is going to go wreck the lives of those who have hurt him. He's asking God to intervene. God, you do this. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Romans 12 is when we turn to therefore, after all that God has done, therefore, this is how to live. Romans 12, 9 says this, Beloved, that's us, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But what if we ignore the wrath of God against sin? And what if we ignore our own anger? Honestly, this is what most churches do, and definitely what most preachers do, and I am guilty of it. It is so much easier to stick with the lectionary of selected Bible verses throughout Scripture and completely omit these imprecations, or to ignore the holy wrath of God against sin. It is easy to do. But what happens? Well, as Christians, we may ignore the presence of evil in doing that. So where does this bring us? This bring us. I'd like to remind us as we've come out of the 4th of July about our forefathers and foremothers in the American colonies. They did not ignore God's wrath or judgment upon sin, nor their own anger against evil. The first book written and published in the colonies was the Bay Psalm Book. It was printed in 1640, all 150 psalms were put to English meter in order to be sung with appropriate tunes. That included the 14 psalms of vengeance. All right, Psalm 58, to give you an example. Verse 8 says, Let them be like a slug that melts away as it moves along. I'd like to call that the slug song. If Christian Owen will make us a new slug song to sing at some point. No, just kidding. What do we do with our anger? Lucado said we want to look away, but let's not. Let's not turn away. Let's not return too quickly to our summer activities. We are to feel and express our anger in prayer to God. And if we feel vengeance, we are to have that in prayer transferred to the heart of God. God is a righteous judge, placing the situation in God's hands. What happens as we continue to read in Romans 12, following verse 19, 
Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And Paul writes, pay. And Paul writes, no, here's what we're to do. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. This is not passive-aggressive. This is saying they will feel what love looks like, and they will recognize their sin. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We are not to do nothing. We are not to remain silent. We are to do and speak what goodness does and says. The kingdom of God has come near in Jesus. Sin has done its worst, and the cross is where the wrath of God against sin was paid in full. In the resurrection, what we have is the power of God available to do good in Jesus Christ through the Spirit. The cross is where we find God in an unexpected place, bearing the sin of the world for you, for me, and for all who are sinners, the world. But it's satisfied. What will you do with your anger? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us a resource to know that it can be felt and expressed in prayer and that you are the judge of us and all and to know that you hear us and that you've dealt with sin and therefore we can live for you and with you to do good in the world. We bless you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.